Hey, Nick. What's up, Adam? Where did you get that shirt you're wearing? The one that I like so much with the Star Wars things on it? Oh, this one. This one I get a lot of compliments on. I got this one from Roosevelt's. R-S-V-L-T-S. You know that company. I see them on Instagram all the time. They make great stuff. Shorts, shirts, all the business. Yeah, they have a bunch of great Star Wars designs, obviously, and other franchises like Marvel, WWE, Disney, and many, many more, so many more. They're more known for their button-down shirts, but they also do t-shirts and shorts, and not just for the men, but for the women and the children, too. Dark. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way they fit. The fabric is super comfortable. Can't stop wearing them. Nice. Well, I'm going to rsvlts.com to make a purchase because I actually don't own anything yet and I've been meaning to buy something. I'm going to use the promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off my first purchase. And you can do the same again at rsvlts.com. I'm talking to you, listener. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER and get 20% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, and welcome to Think the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm Adam Russell. Hey, Adam. This is Nick. What's happening? Oh, uh, you know, the huge. Did you see Andor, episode 10? Yeah, I watched the Star Wars today. Oh, we should talk about it for sure. Dude, that is a great idea. I don't know what we were going to talk about, but we should talk about that. I'm glad you said that, because I had no clue. <laughs> I was going to talk about popular gas stations or um (laughs) mean girls mugs mean girls mugs yeah it's always my favorite thing on podcasts when people reference visual things yeah because you're drinking from a mean girls mug but no one could see you right now so that was you know Ah, and now we're talking about us talking about it (laughs) (laughs) it's inception again i do that on the story of your podcast all the time i'm like you know it's like (laughs) like like this it's like this big (laughs) (laughs) how many units of this several so it's just us it's just the two of us just the two of us today. Like Le- Leia said, we have everything we need. Ryan's in another country or solar system, as is tradition. Mike has a kid homesick, doing the dad thing. Here we are. We're going to talk Star Wars. We're going to talk Andor. we're going to get busy living or get busy dying. For anyone who gets that reference, points to you. Let's just get into it. What have you done with those plans? Andor, episode 10. One way out. That's going to get chanted everywhere. Is there going to be <laughs> yeah. a new like running of the prisoners kind of thing at Star Wars oh, Celebration? Man. We should start that. I'm here for it. Celebration. Episode 10 debuted today, November 9th, 2022 on Disney+. Plus. Disney Plus describes it as a rare opportunity opens and the time for Cassian and his fellow inmates to act is now. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Written again by Bo Williman, returning from last week. Directed again by Toby Haynes. This is his sixth episode so far, and I think his last, as far as IMDb has told me, this season. Starring no one specifically new, but we should point out Robert Ems as Supervisor Lonnie Jung. 
He, uh, he has a prominent role in this episode for a specific reason that we'll talk about later. Really key scene and a big reveal. He played one of the Soviet engineers in Chernobyl. I knew I recognized that dude's face. It's been a while since I watched Chernobyl, but take a look at um, IMDb. You'll see the photo and you'll be like, hey, man, that's that guy who got all roasted. <laughs> Christopher Fairbank as Olaf. So he, of course, died last week and we didn't... Um, we didn't see much of him at all, aside from his body being zipped up into a body bag. But we should point out, this dude was in Guardians of the Galaxy. I remember vaguely his face. He looked familiar. I just yeah. could never play him. He's a that guy of little character roles, little mm-hmm. parts. He's been working forever. He was in The Fifth Element as well. And he was also one of the muggers towards the beginning of Batman, the 1989 Michael Keaton Batman, named Nick. And he's the one that when... You know, Batman comes in and, and whips the shit out of those two dudes and he hangs him off the building and he says, I want you to tell all your friends about me. And he says, what are you? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's all it's super cartoony. They're acting and he, that's when he drops, I'm Batman. Yeah. You know? Very cool. He's that dude. I knew that because I have a spreadsheet of every character that's ever been on screen named Nick. <laughs> so his name is Nick in that. So I was like, oh, that's Nick. Oh, let me check my Nick database. Okay, yeah, there he is. <laughs> Nickopedia, I call it. <laughs> Please do that. <laughs> 46 minute runtime on this one. Yeah. I mean, they all feel so dense that I'm, I'm happy that they are longer than Mando or Boba Fett episodes. They're so dense. This one actually, I think, was a little shorter, technically, because mm-hmm. there's always like two minutes. I mean, I think I say it every week, but there's like two minutes of previously on. And then I think this one was like almost like six minutes of credits. So if you subtract that is basically eight minutes off that 46 minute mark. Like this was kind of a shorter and or episode, but I couldn't tell. It was so dense. So, so dense. Yeah. And the two like key set pieces in terms of dialogue and uh, like the, the, the big key moments were so dense, so verbose and full of information that they almost like went by too fast, but they felt long. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, oh God, they're saying so much. I'm missing. I know I, I have to go back and dig through this. It, they're giving us a lot. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't be happier. There was one, um, I get why it's there because it's probably going to be important for the two-part finale, but there was literally the random scene on Ferrix, which never got referenced again in the episode, mm-hmm. where basically whoever was, I don't know if it was a nurse or a citizen, was taking care of Marva, saying that she was like denying her meds and hiding right. her meds or whatever. And then you see Cinta watching that happen, but then right. someone's watching Cinta, but then we never went back to that. So I'm going to assume that that is a little bit of a seed for uh, the next two weeks. Yeah, very little Dedra, no Cyril, just that short scene, like you said. Mm-hmm. So this was almost entirely Mon Mothma's story and... Cassian's story in the prison, Cassian, Cassian and Kino and the escape. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd first like to take this opportunity to say that I was super wrong. I didn't expect them to fully go for the prison break on this episode. I figured they would like cliffhang it, you know, like we go tomorrow, you know, it was like the last line or whatever, but they went for it and it was badass. Bringing us also more homages to THX 1138, the island. And it makes me wonder, Tony Gilroy is not known as a Star Wars fan. Not into it, but the, granted, he's not writing everything in all of these. It makes me wonder how much the Lucasfilm story group is involved in this. Mm-hmm. Like, the, does the dude write a framework of a story and have like Imperial Person One, Rebel Person Two interact, whatever, 
And then story group helps like kind of create names, connect dots, bring in ideas, even stuff like yeah. calling back to THX 1138. That's something a Star yeah. Wars fan would want to do. Yeah. Has Tony Gilroy seen that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, you know? No clue. But I mean, a big like kind of like side point that I wanted to bring up for this week was I honestly forget that we're watching Star Wars sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it yeah. looks it looks like it could belong in that world, but it's not so like heavy handed. Like this obviously looks like THX 1138. But man, this episode more than any other episode, I think I forgot I was watching Star Wars. It's yeah. just, there was like almost no references to anything that has anything to do with Star Wars. So I don't think that's a bad thing at all, but it makes me excited for the future because like, I know we've talked about, okay, so we have like the whole Mandoverse and that's a certain way, which is basically coming off as like live action animation. Plus we have animation, plus we have whatever they want to do with films. And this is a very serious kind of grown up storytelling. But that just makes me excited for like, okay, so what's actually in between an Andor style and a Mando style then? Where right. it's like halfway in between, you know? It's like there, you could really mess with all of these different types of Star Wars storytelling because everyone likes this show. And I actually was describing it as like, there's two shows that I've ever watched that I thought were like legitimately perfect to the point of where you can't even like speculate or talk about them afterwards. And that's Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. Like those shows fully through are perfect to the point of like you have nothing to complain about and you just like what you see on screen. So you're just like, yeah, that show's awesome. Yeah. That's all, that's all I could talk about. You know, Better Call yeah. Saul ended and I'm like, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I have nothing to say. So I'm almost going down this path with Andor. I'm like, it's good. Just watch it. I don't know what to tell you. It's just good. Yeah, it's it seems like by getting Tony Gilroy, I don't know who like who conceptualized the idea of telling an Andor story. And and maybe this is out there somewhere and I just didn't pick up on it. But it seems like they said, okay, let's do something that is for the masses, but is ultimately like for the deepest of deep Star Wars fans because it's a niche character, like to some degree. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they're like writing the line in such a way where it's not like they're using Earth locations just to save money or just to mm-hmm. make it less green screen or feel real. It's It's almost like... They're purposely not set dressing certain things so it feels less alien to the general public that this could potentially Mm -hmm. be appealing to, you know, to make this their Game of Thrones, to make it their Mm -hmm. lost, whatever, something that becomes like a monoculture water cooler event kind of show. And even though it's like it doesn't seem to be getting the ratings, it's possible. Mm -hmm. Like it has all the elements to make it work. Like when they're going down the stairwell, that's clearly just like an earth stairwell, Mm -hmm. you know? When they're at the railing, you know. Our buddy Phil from HE Creative is sending me all these pictures around London and like areas around him that are like, they shot this here, they shot this there. And you're like, yeah, I mean, that just looks like, I would normally not say it looks like Star Wars, but it looks like Andor. Like you could tell yeah, they, they did great as far as like location scouting goes to be like, this is 80% looks like it could be in Andor. Maybe we got to dress it up a little bit or green screen some stuff out. But it's it's very, very cool. It also makes me wonder what you're saying. Something between like the Mandalorian and this, what does that look like? What does that feel like tonally? And it's it's especially interesting because I went from, you know, right before Mosh Eisley, I was just I was just playing Star Wars in the background while I was sewing and stuff. I guess it was Thursday, so I had done this the day before, full day of Andor, and then Thursday I'm working and I put on the Force Awakens and the tonal difference hit me like a ton of bricks. It's just so different. Like the the adventure, like fast paced, 
spaceships, blasters everywhere kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's just not this. And it's yeah. so different. It was a little jarring, not in a bad way, but it was like, oh, oh mm-hmm. yeah, this is what Star Wars really kind of is mm-hmm. until now. Yeah. So what is in between? Is it like tonally, you know? I mean, I, I don't know in like a Star Wars universe sense, but I know as like a viewer, it would just be like a little bit more fun and involve some characters we know. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Like, really, I know that's all that I could say is like all the stuff that we speculate about would just bring us a little closer to that like nostalgia feeling of being like, oh, Bail Organa, I love it, you know, but we haven't really seen that yet. And the characters we have gotten, Mon Mothma is like so left of center of what we thought we were going to get. And so much right. better, though. So much cooler. Yeah. And like, I just I think of it, too. Because I had this thought late last night where I was like, I don't even feel like I'm watching Star Wars, which is, again, not a bad thing. I, I just, I, I think in the sense of the rebellion, this is the grassroots upstart of the rebellion. So like almost the dirty work has to be done now. So Luke could be like, I'm going to go blow up the Death Star now. You know, like <laughs> yeah. there, there's, a, there's a straight line from the beginning to that part. It doesn't just start with the fun part, you know, like yeah. there has to be all the sacrifices at the beginning. So that's how I'm kind of like head canonizing what we're watching right now is that the dirty work is being done now so that the masses could be like, all right, there's a rebellion. I could join now. Yeah. No, no 19 year old kid in their right mind would be like, yeah, let's go blow up that space station. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, unless there was a full on rebellion that the whole galaxy knows about to the point where he could say, you know, the rebellion against the empire. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Nick's smart, everyone. All right, so uh, that's the pod for the week. We're done. Find Nick at <laughs> Nickopedia on the World Wide Web. Damn, that's that's good. I wonder if that exists. I'm gonna I'm gonna search it right now. Make it happen. All right, let's talk specifics. You mentioned Cinta and what looks like an Imperial spy on Ferrix watching her. Could be someone else. Could be like an undercover Imperial agent. The short ISB moment that we talked about earlier with Dedra and Lonnie, they're they're kind of just tying up the loose ends with the the murder cover-up of the pilot from Anto Krieger's rebel group that they talked about. All that one is planned. And now Lonnie says, we basically need to proceed as expected and, you know, air quotes, investigate the crash and go do things. Otherwise, there'll be red flags. Like, why wasn't Mm -hmm. the Empire here? There was this huge incident on Coruscant. So they're doing that, and we kind of just wrap it up with them. We return to Lonnie later, of course, but we'll talk about that shortly. Mon Mothma and Davos Skulden. We get the meeting. They meet at Mon Mothma's apartment. Man, it's like <laughs> such a dance of like political language and social interactions, you know? A lot, a lot of double speak too, you know? Like no one's yeah. really saying... I mean, Mon Mothma is. She's keeping it brief and to the point, but Davos definitely a lot of, here's what I'm saying, but you know what I mean, right? Right. That's basically his whole thing. And she's picking up all of it, and she's not stoked. Because mm-hmm. she, she is like the quintessential noblest of noble, moral, idealist poster child for what a servant of the people type politician should be, always trying to take the high road, which is a great setup for the ultimate payoff of her having to join this, like we've talked about the past few weeks, the militaristic rebellion mm-hmm. that we met 45 years ago. And she's like, she's just like struggling so much with trying not to go the route that Luthen has gone, the, the route that Saul Guerrera has gone, where you kind of lose yourself and you end up, to use Luthen's quote, to step on the quote that we'll reference later. He sold his soul, basically. And he says, 
I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. Yeah. He goes on and we'll continue that later. But Mon's going to have to make a choice at some point, And he presents her, Davos Skulden presents her with like the worst choice to try to make because he doesn't want any payment for his services, his like money laundering, essentially, that we'll talk about. He just wants to bring in his 14-year-old son to meet her 13-year-old daughter to potentially kick off some kind of, you know, they, they don't want to do an arranged marriage, or at least he claims. Yeah. But he wants into the family to legitimize himself in some way. And is she going to be willing to sacrifice on that level? I hope not. I hope it doesn't get there. I hope it, you know, I feel like it's more complex. Yeah. If she gives in, it's just like, it's almost too easy. Yeah. And she, she you know, he said something, Davo said something along the lines of, uh, it's a lot to think about. And she's like, I'm not thinking about it. So <laughs> it really might just be, no, we'll figure something else out. I'm not, I'm not yeah. totally sure. This dude really gives me like a mafia, like crooked union teamster kind of vibe mm-hmm. mixed with the, the, you know, the family wealth. Yeah. There's some sort of elitist in there too. Cause he, another line of his was something about like having, you know, enough wealth means you don't have to worry about like the opinions of other people or something like that. <laughs> right. So yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty elitist. He, he makes Mon Mothma ask him, you know, Tay, says, you know, we, we've talked about so-and-so and like, what are we going to do basically? And he's like, well, I want to hear it out of her mouth. Mm, yep. You know, like everything he's doing is like, it's just power moves. He's playing this game of chess, but it's all power moves. And he talks about what they're going to do with the money, right? Basically, essentially money laundering is the vibe I got. He says, we've reached a scale in our holdings that permits a great variety of transactions to be bundled in ways that make outside observation impossible. That's money laundering, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, getting lost in the receipts, they're spending so much money, getting lost in the receipts is the thing that they need to do so she can access that 400,000 credits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's like there's a real world comparison of just like, I don't know, taxation and stuff like that in general that mm-hmm. it's such, for me anyway, it's such a complicated game, but it is a game. And mm-hmm. th- there are rules if you could understand them and play them. And it's like, yeah, there's ways to evade taxes that are legal because there are rules to the game. So evading taxes in general isn't illegal. There's just, you have to do it a certain way. So it's like money laundering in this case is, is you know, he's figured out a way to like, I don't know if it's like so much information that you can't conceive it. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but he says the word bundling where it's just like, yeah. it's impossible to observe because there's just a variety of transactions bundled together where an empire, for instance, that is becoming, you know, fat and satisfied is just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not reading all that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. TLDR. And then there's, there's the element of it that is the most depressing when you think about this in a real world sense. My wife and I talk about this all the time that the people who should be paying the most taxes in this case, people who have all this inherited wealth, who are ultimately pieces of shit and are doing whatever they want, wherever they want, whenever they want. They not only have the power to do what they want with that money, but they have the money to pay people to help them game the system even more. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like poor people don't have a badass tax attorney and and CPA at at their disposal to help them pay as little taxes as possible. Mm -hmm. But it's like the richer you are, the more resources you have and the more you can everybody over and think about only yourself. Mm -hmm. Here he is. His name's Davos Calden. What was extra like interesting and smart about the writing is the way that he tries to appeal to Mon Mothma on like the only the idea of imperial overreach you know big government too much regulation 
cumbersome legislation, regulations, all that kind of stuff. But he's obviously coming from the complete other side of it. She's coming from a place of liberty, freedom, democracy for the people and so on. He just wants less oversight to do more shady shit, Mm -hmm. do what he wants with his money. Talks about entitlement to move money, family money around with privacy, and it's my family money. I should be able to do what I want with it, that kind of shit. And Mon Mothma's just like, her like skin's crawling the whole time. She's yeah. just trying to keep it t- together. She didn't even want to be there, honestly. Like, yeah. From last episode or whenever Tay mentioned who Davo, it's like, she was like, oh my God, really? So it didn't go well, that's for sure. I mean, I feel like it was going sort of okay. Like she was just getting to the point of she was willing to pay him, you know? She was willing yeah. to do whatever she needed to do, but she just wanted to send a cut, you know, give Davo a cut. And that just wasn't what he had in mind. Because again, he's so wealthy that he's like, I, I don't need more. Right. But yeah, he, I don't know. Do you think he wants in the family? Is that part of it? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the vibe I got. Or, you know, to be adjacent to that family, like, to, mm-hmm. you know, look at things in politics in the United States in the past several years, or look at places like Russia, authoritarian governments, even like governments that aren't and cultures that aren't doing terrible things to to, to the world like in japanese culture with corporations and things i listened to this really interesting freakonomics episode about whether or not it's a good idea to hand down a company to your to the next generation to your son or daughter Mm -hmm. and statistically every corporation that's handed down not every the majority of corporations that are handed down take a total shit they go bankrupt it it just doesn't work out Mm -hmm. except in japan but if you look like one layer deeper, you realize that it's because there are like these almost transactional marriages where, you know, someone who's coming up in the company who is like the person who should take over, they should be the next generation's CEO and so on and so, on and so forth. They end up marrying into the family and take the family name. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you don't know that layer, you look at it from the outside and go, oh, look, they've handed it down through mm-hmm. 20 generations and it's successful, but it's not, it's, it's more like a transaction, you know, like modern. Yeah, monarchies transactionally bringing families together and things like that. So, yeah, interesting. It's going to be interesting also to see how this actually pans out with Mon Mothma because the last line when she says, I'm not thinking about it, yeah. this dude turns around and says, that's the first untrue thing you've said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that just means like you're going to think about it and you're going to hate it, obviously, or you're actually going to do it. I didn't hate that dude as far as a character goes, like Davo, like Yes, he's being shady, but I also feel like maybe it was just the acting job. He was doing a great job acting. Like, this yeah. is all matter of fact. What I do is fine. It's legal, but on the sketchy side, whatever. Like, I think he just kind of crushed the role, whoever that actor is. But there was wiggle room there. And I know it's like, what's the best way to put this? I know it's like kind of just like one foot over the line saying, Let, let's just let them meet and see if something happens as opposed to... I'm bringing my son here to marry your daughter. There was this kind of like middle ground of my intentions are to have my son marry your daughter, but let's just have them meet first. So maybe Tay comes back and is like, just let them meet, whatever. This will get the transaction. Like they don't have to get married, but it is a step in the wrong direction for sure to have them meet. But there was wiggle room there. Let's talk about Luthen and Lonnie. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. So I, I... Having not watched too much in, in the, I think I only watched one trailer and I think I only watched it once, mm-hmm. maybe two trailers. Apparently Lonnie was revealed or there was enough evidence in the trailer that he was a spy. So for anyone who really dug deep, this was more like just confirmation of uh, like the worst kept secret in this whole show. Mm-hmm. 
Turns out he's been a spy for six years, and he goes to meet Luthen. He he tries to give him information on Dedra and and just basically like buy his way out. Like I, I'm I'm done. I've been doing this for six years. I want to go. Luthen won't let him. Luthen wants to give up Krieger and these fifty rebels in his group just to protect Lonnie and protect the rebellion and ensure that he can continue to work undercover, continue the mission, and so on. It's rough, dude. Yeah. It's rough. It's got mafia vibes. Big time. Yeah, this was almost like a third side of Luthen. Yeah. You know, we had like the the rebel side that Cassian saw. Then there's the antiquities owner that Mon Mothma saw. And now there's this Cat H says in the chat right now, why does Luthen look like the emperor in that scene? Yeah, when he opens the door. Look is one thing with his his robes or whatever you want to call them, but just how he's playing both sides at this point. Yeah. which is a very Palpatine thing. He says, we took a vow. Mm. What is that? What vow? A vow is a very like specific formal word. Yeah. You know, not like we dedicated ourselves to this or we, we knew what we were getting into. We agreed, whatever. Mm-hmm. Saying we took a vow. You know what I mean? It's saying yeah. something more. That's, that's not a, a word that you throw in there casually that mm-hmm. could be all that ambiguous. Yeah, interesting. Maybe I'm overthinking. I don't know. Like as if... I mean, if this has been six years in the making too, like, is that, does that line up with like Solo-ish? Because that's it's, Enfys Nest territory, if it is, you know? Who knows? Oh, Jason in the chat says the same vow that Vel and Mon Mothma spoke of. Yeah. I missed that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it might just be something as simple as like, by any means necessary, which means someone like Lonnie is literally... When he's part of ISB, he's doing ISB stuff, but he's giving mm-hmm. info to Luthen. Although maybe he hasn't, they, they said something about they haven't spoken to him in a year, right? So right. he's just straight up, Lonnie is just straight up ISB when he's doing that. And he just lets some info leak here and there. He seems like tormented though. Mm-hmm. And like tortured by the fact that he is a part of the empire on this level. Like, yeah. Cause he talks about sacrifice. Mm-hmm. everything he's giving up. And then he says to Luthen, what do you sacrifice? Which ensues like the, one of the best monologues of the whole series. Man. He talks about giving up calm and kindness and kinship and love and any chance at inner peace and then drops basically like an emo lyric. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I share my dreams with ghosts. <laughs> I don't know what the f- that means, but it sounds terrible. This song's called One Way Out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He says, I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise I know I'll never see. Just like Cassian in Rogue One, like we find out Mm -hmm. Kino at the end of this episode, they're all working towards something that they most likely will not live to see. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the theme of the rebellion, like the dying for the cause theme. Yeah, and that's something that a lot of just like modern day politics aren't like people don't think for literally for their children or the generation right. behind them, you know, like they're literally thinking about my gas prices right now, you know, right. like they're not thinking about what caused them or what system caused those things or anything like that. They're thinking about like, how do I get what I want right now, which is never the case. You don't just vote for somebody in the next morning. You're like, all right, everything's okay now. It's like there's a process to things and people just are fully blinded by that. So it's like someone like Luthen, yeah, this is 
crazy to stay the course knowing that you're never, like he says, I burn my life to make a sunrise I know I'll never see. It's crazy. Mm. It's dedication. Cassian on the same path. I thought it was so awesome. We've seen him, we've seen him slowly inch towards the Cassian from Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And each time there's like a big moment, we keep saying on this podcast, here it is. Here's the turning point. Here's where he's really all in. But it, they just keep leveling it up. And the one moment that was really like, oh, he's in philosophically. He's like fully emotionally in is the morning before the breakout. He's laying there in bed, eyes wide open, mm. can't sleep. Just like Nemec. Mm-hmm. Totally. He's too invested to even sleep. The complete opposite of the place where he was at the time, just a mercenary basically, you know? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the pipe in the, in the bathroom that he, we saw him hacking away at last episode, that's part of this plan, brilliant plan, to flood the floor and then short out the system. So he goes in there, he's chopping away at it right before everything's about to go down. He busts it open, he kind of wrenches it, uh, leverages against something else and breaks that pipe. So when they bring in the new prisoner to replace Olaf, the timing works out. They activate the floors, it shorts out the whole thing. They're up on the tables they can jump down then and then we can, they can let it rip and they go full Ewok style and just start <laughs> yeah. throwing everything, all the, the parts, the tools at, at the guards, they're outnumbered. The guards are screwed. And this is like a full 15 minute breakout scene. It's huge. It's a, it's an awesome sequence. Cassian and Kino make their way up to the command center. They shut down the power. They deactivate all the floors on the facility. And then Cassian, another, again, another little bit of character growth where the show's just building him up to be like the dude. You know what I mean? Giving him all the points. Like he's he's not out for himself. He's not trying to take the lead when he shouldn't. He insists that Kino speaks to the prisoners because he's already a leader to them. He's their voice. He gets him on the comms and he gives like another incredible monologue. Did you know did you notice also in how the voice is different, you know, over the comms? Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, it has it like the format down. It gives it a little kind of voice. Mm-hmm. And when he got on, it was Snoke. Yep. It was just straight up Snoke. Straight up. <laughs> it was amazing. It's hard not to think of both Gollum and Snoke. I like yeah. bounce back and forth because his like the muscles in his face, because he's such a like CGI actor, you know, like mm-hmm. mocap actor. I'm like, oh, that's Gollum. And then yeah. when I hear him talk, I'm like, oh, that's Snoke. Okay. But it also like works. Like he would be if those two things didn't exist, or like maybe you didn't watch them and you're only watching this, like phenomenal performance. Very, very awesome. He's incredible, dude. The coolest part about this monologue, aside from just the great quotes, it's just really well written and really powerful. It's not just a call to action to the prisoners, but it's also like a symbolic metaphorical call to action for the whole galaxy, the entire rebellion. Cause this really is like a huge, huge moment. It's like a, you know, a smaller scale version of blowing up the Death Star, you know, taking down that whole prison and freeing everyone is, you know, it's a, it's like a, it's a fireworks moment, you know, mm-hmm. it's a landmark kind of like turning point. So that's, it's, it's like the kickoff party for the whole rebellion. And he's mm-hmm. speaking to the whole galaxy in a way. And then he mirrors Cassian's quote from earlier, which will likely be our quote of the week. Kino says, I'd rather die trying to take them down than giving them what they want. He also tells everybody to help each other, which I thought was awesome. Cause like you expect in a situation like this, people are just getting trampled. Everyone's f***ed. It's all like every man for himself, but they mm-hmm. band together like the rebellion again says, help each other. If you see anyone scared or falling down or, you know, some stuff like that, help them pick them up. And in the end, they all end up the one way out ends up being to like 
these fugitive style kind of like exhaust things where they, yeah, yeah. they're like on a, a cliff's edge essentially and they have to jump down to the water and turns out Kino can't swim. So he, like Cassian, like Luthen, won't live to see the liberty and freedom that he's fought for. He knew that whole time, you know, and he still did yeah. it. That's, that's really heavy because that also, that's mirroring Luthen. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm fighting for something I know when I get to the top, like I'm basically not jumping. You know, there, there's another interesting thing is that Kino wasn't the only person to not jump on a table when they were trying to activate the floors. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I wonder if that was kind of Kino's way out where he was oh. like, I'm just going to stay on the floor and die right now. Because yeah. he looked a little shocked. I, want, I have to go back and watch it, but he looked a little perplexed that like the floors didn't activate. I don't know. There, there's a possibility there that he was trying to like end it for himself there. But there were other yeah. people who weren't on the table either. So I could just be making that up. I mean, it just overall seemed mostly concerned with making the breakout happen in a selfless way. Yeah. And at the end, last shot, Cassian and I, I can't remember which other prisoner, but the two of them in the night, they... Oh, that's Melchi for sure. They said it in the, uh, the subtitles. They make their way to the beach. They run off into the night on their way to Zihuataneo or wherever they're going. <laughs> Hell of an episode. Yeah. Every week, better than the last. And it's, man, it, like the action is so much better because we, we have to wait for it. Mm -hmm. It's not nonstop blasters. So there's all this buildup, all this character development, and then huge tentpole, like key moments. Mm -hmm. It's so much more special, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more, what's the best way to put it? It's almost like in the Favreau Filoni series, we're looking for this like John Wick style of like video game murder, death, mm -hmm. kill when those things yeah. happen. And this one is more like the actual action is more practical like how it would actually go down you wouldn't have like yeah. boba fett like throwing a knee up with his dart you know in real life <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh yeah. this is more practical and therefore believable i guess yeah and the, and the delayed gratification is the key to it all the setup mm -hmm. it's like um yeah they're big action scenes but it's in a way like a quick like samurai fight like mm -hmm. the the obi-wan and maul you know it's like yeah. three moves there's all this build up and there's a short mm -hmm. bit of action it's that much more memorable because of it. There were some visuals. So when they were in the control center, the actual like old school Star Wars looking screen, it kind of looked like a flower a little bit. You know, it mm. was the shape of the base, which was basically the Imperial cog shape, but the inside mm. of it looked like a flower. So I feel like that's a little bit like there's light inside the dark kind of thing. Yeah. Then all the way at the end, when enough prisoners had jumped and they show the overhead shot, beautiful shot. And that also, I feel like, could be interpreted as like the light kind of leaking out of the dark, kind of. Yeah, it, like the white suits in the dark water. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty purposeful, the shot. They were both, specifically that last one was pretty, pretty poignant. All right, let's move on. Hey, Adam, can you believe that it's the holiday season already? Unfortunately, I have to believe it because it's happening way too fast and I've done almost zero Christmas shopping. I'm way behind. Well, spoiler alert to everyone in my life. You're all getting clothing from Roosevelt's as holiday gifts this year. <laughs> 
It's a great idea because Roosevelt's not only has all the Star Wars shirts, shorts, and everything else that we wear, but they also have tons of designs from other pop culture franchises for other people that aren't the same kind of nerd that we are. (laughs) Yeah, they actually just launched a line of National Lampoon's Christmas vacation button-downs and t-shirts if you need something to wear for your holiday party. And they also have other designs from franchises like Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, WWE, The Office, Rick and Morty, Friends, and old-school movies like The Big Lebowski Jaws, Goonies, and you're going to love this one, Top Gun. Well, if you feel the need for speed, as I do, you can go to rsvlts.com. That's Roosevelt's with no vowels. And use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. That's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER and get 20% off your first purchase. It is the dark side. It's a Kalikori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. This is a shorter one, but they're fun. Yeah. Nonetheless. Nick, tell us some things. We're in the den. The floors are flooded <laughs> right now. It's damp. So it's damp <laughs> today. <laughs> Lonnie in the elevator when he's going down to the extremely low levels of Coruscant. You know, I I think I spoke last week or the week before about claustrophobia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, going down many, many levels into Coruscant started to give me uh, some claustrophobic vibes for sure. But uh, the earpiece that he grabbed to talk to Luthen, 100% made of a Powerbeats Pro wireless earbud. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting how they 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 bounce back and forth between like random 80s and 70s stuff but then also like very current stuff. Right. Cuz like the boots Mike said were like kind of from last year. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny they basically covered up the Beats logo with some other little symbol and that was it. Yeah. So when we get to Luthen's antiquity shop and Clea is there, Luthen is working on a Naboo style headdress which is similar to something that Padme wears in Attack of the Clones when they're kind of walking through uh, Italy, right? <laughs> yeah. It looks like almost the exact same thing. It could be the, the one, considering mm-hmm. like how much Naboo stuff is there. There's the, uh, the Gungan shield and some things like that. Who knows? This is the last thing in the den. Really one of the only times this episode that I noticed something and I was like, is that? And I had to go back and actually do one second of research, but the Imperial calm kind of microphone unit in the command center where Kino gives his speech. It's the same one in the Death Star cell block from A New Hope when Han is doing his whole uh, slight weapons malfunction. Uh, Everything's fine. Everything's fine here now. How are you? (laughs) It's not like exactly the same, but it's for all intents and purposes, pretty much the same. How do I make this mic into one of those? How do I? Yeah, right. (laughs) How do I make that work? Probably some PVC pipe. That'll do it. Some spray paint. Some black paint, yeah. All right, let's wrap it up. I love you. I know. Favorite scenes, favorite moments, favorite quotes. We've got some good ones from the Jedi Council tier patrons who are watching and listening with us right now. Nick, if you want to read some. Yeah, yeah. Patrick, I'm not going to read yours because I think that that is our quote of the week. So good job, Patrick. Quote of the week. Your favorite part is also our favorite part. Good call. Cat H says, everything Andy Serkis does, the lingering shot on his face as he realizes they are truly free of the electrified floor, his going from not wanting anything to do with Cassian's plan to taking leadership of it. Very, very just masterful acting, 
writing, the way it's shot, everything about that is great. She also goes on to add her favorite quote is, power doesn't panic. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Very cool. And Patrick Merton's favorite scene would be Luthen's sacrifice speech up on the walkway in the dark, dropping all we've kind of wondered. And Patrick also says that he thinks that the difference between him and Saw is Saw doesn't believe he is doing anything wrong. Luthen realizes he is, but also realizes it has to be done. Mm. Very, very cool. Brutal. Good point. Uh, Elaine, th- there's there are funny parts when you like kind of take them out of context. I mean, even just Kino not being able to swim is act kind of funny, but yeah. it's not presented as funny. But Elaine says uh, her favorite quote is "I'm dead, I'm dead, pretending to be dead," which is one of the guys like uh, at the Cassian's table, which was like kind of a thing that Kino said. He was just like, "I'm assuming I'm dead, so at this point, what does it matter? There literally is no way out other than." working for the rest of my life and dying here or dying on my own volition, basically. So They literally have nothing to lose at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, do you want to die in 50 years of, of servitude or tomorrow on your own terms, you know? So again, it's not presented as funny, but the, the prisoner talking to themselves, being like, I'm dead, I'm dead, pretending to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, what was your favorite part or quote or moment? Uh, I, I really, I don't want to say I like Davo, but I think that, Mon Mothma is really stealing the scenes and whenever she's in the show and uh, I want to live in her apartment even though apparently it's government sanctioned great job government <laughs> good, great job Empire love the design choices great job uh, as I usually decorating. do Empire great design choices but yeah that whole scene with Davo and, and Tay and, and Mon Mothma I think was my favorite because it was chill but what they were saying was like just wasn't chill at all. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the double speak of yeah. everything besides Mon Mothma. Like everything that Davo was saying, I'm just like, you, it's like passive aggressive in a yeah. way. Like, I don't know. It was just, I, I think, much like we mentioned a couple episodes ago when we got to know Tay a little bit more, I'm like, I don't really know who these, these actors are. So that helps, but they're great actors. And I think that there's something in Star Wars where you take lesser known actors and give them a meaty role and it's great. So Tay and Davos, whoever these actors are, I don't, I've not seen them before. And apparently they have credits of, you know, more recent stuff that they've been in. I mean, even Lonnie you're saying is in Chernobyl. Like, I don't yeah. know his role in that show, but the show is so well written and presented well that I think that these actors are kind of crushing what's been given to them. Talk about doublespeak. That's everywhere all over this episode. It's so sick. Like when, when Kino's talking to he's doing the on-program stuff and, and getting everyone ready for the breakout at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I love it. I also love when when, uh, when Cassian pulls the gun on, on the dudes in the control room and tells them on-program. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Who's in charge now? <laughs> yeah. And my favorite scene is from that control room. The speech that Kino gives to all the prisoners, the hesitation at the beginning, and then the way he like settles into it, opens up, and the montage that ensues from that, the way the music swells in, it's just like classic uplifting Star Wars motivation, let's go beat these pieces of shit kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's pretty definitively my favorite part. Loved it. What do we think about next week? We have two episodes left. Yeah, what threads need to be somewhat tied here? We have Cyril stuff. We have Ferric stuff with Marva and, and Cinta. Where's Cassian going right now? I mean, that's kind of setting up. Like, is Cassian going to go home and the whole yeah. shitstorm happens? We got Saw Gerrera, 
to worry about. Yeah, saw. I mean, this this Krieger dude. Like, is that? I know what's his face was cast, and we haven't seen him yet. The dude who plays Antop. And talk Merrick. I don't know that that popped into my mind last week when they they said they got a rebel pilot. I wonder if that's Antok Merrick, who was just one of those dudes in Rogue One. I'd, he probably barely had a line, but he was like physically noticeable because he had like a mustache mm-hmm. and like I don't know. They just shot him well. I know I'm pretty sure he was cast, so maybe that's the rebel pilot they have in custody. We'll see. Well, Krieger, we haven't seen on screen. No, not yet. So there's a lot to do in a couple episodes. If they're going to tie up everything, who knows? I, I mean, there's a second season in the works, so they don't have to. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't know. I, I just, I can't imagine Cyril Karn being left hanging. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something big is going to happen with, has to happen with him in the next two episodes. I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, I, I, I would say like kind of, I think it would work thematically to bookend the first season with a bunch of Cyril at the beginning and then a bunch of Cyril at the end. Yeah. So we will see. I just, I don't, like, with the structure of season two, I feel like if Cyril is going to become more of a linchpin in the show, I feel like he needs to be higher up in the Empire. Like, he needs to be ISB or something like that if he's going to be a part of, like, these big year-long jumps in the next season. Right. We're going to need to know more about him, and he's going to have to be in, like, a role like the ISB or something that is just kind of always there, no matter how many years pass. All right. Let's wrap it up. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. If you're listening for the first time right now, subscribe. Hit the subscribe button or the follow button that it now uh, is called on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And rate the show. Why not? Takes one second to rate it. Yes, rating the show and leaving a review really, really does help people find it. You know, podcast apps aren't, they aren't YouTube. They aren't Google. The algorithm doesn't, doesn't work the same way. So the more you rate, review, and share the more it helps us. You can also support this podcast by buying Thank the Maker merch at thankthemakermerch.com or by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. You get Discord access at the lowest tier. You get to hang out with us live here at the Jedi Council tier and everything in between, exclusive content, exclusive merch. It's a good time and we appreciate it. And it really, truly makes this thing possible. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at thankthemakerpod, on Twitter at thankthemakerpod, don't know if Twitter is going to be part of our lives much longer. I'm giving myself to the end of the year. Yeah. Just so you know. My stuff is all at Adam the Skull. All my social media is at Nick Bayside. Please follow me. I love when I get new followers and they are real people and not bots. That's my favorite part of every day. And uh, Bayside is going on tour in February with I'm the Avalanche and Koyo. It's called the Just Like Home Tour. Tickets are on sale right now. I would love if you bought tickets in advance. Please do that. Nick, you want to send us home with a quote? Yes. We've referenced it. We've said it. Patrick Merton loved it. The quote of the week is from Cassian Andor. I'd rather die trying to take them down than die giving them what they want. And you will. It's going to happen. You're dead. It works in the end. I'm already dead. I'm already <laughs> dead. Shout out Rob Zombie. Patrons, thanks for being here. Listeners, thanks for listening. Nick, thank you for being a friend travel down the road and back again your heart <laughs> is true you're a pal and a confidant that's what most people say about me i'm a confidant and until next week may the force be with you 